a simple question for you. What do you want more than anything else in this world? If I could ask you, because I, I know you're sitting there and you probably have a, a gazillion things in your mind. What, if you could get something, what would it be? I think that's part of what the message is for us this day. Now, if you could go to the next slide, I have a map of the land of Israel at the time that Jesus walked. And this, if you've had a chance to be there, it's, it's not a huge uh, geography. It's about the size of the Bay Area. The difference is you can't just drive. You'd have to walk. So this area from Jerusalem in the south all the way up to Sidon and Tyre, if you wanted to get down there to where Jesus was, he was up in Capernaum, which is right where the uh, Sea of Galilee is. He was there. Why were people coming to him? For two reasons. One, he was healing everybody. And two, he was preaching the good news of the kingdom. Here's something to consider. Uh, I asked you before, if you could have anything, what would it be that you would want? It's kind of funny how when we're in a time of, of health and prosperity, it's interesting what those aspirations are, aren't they? Oh, I wish that I could become uh, executive in my company. Or I wish I could be a, a rich investment banker. Or I wish I could be uh, the next Steph Curry for the Warriors. I don't think anyone in this room is going to be that, by the way. But, you know, we, we have dreams. Uh, some of us want to be doctors. Some of us want to be lawyers. Uh, some of us want to be preachers. I, you know, we have all these aspirations. It's funny how when you become sick, how all that changes. You could have all the aspirations and desires of your heart, but if you or a loved one gets sick, none of those things matter whatsoever. And Jesus is always challenging us to think. So all these people were coming to get healed. They didn't have hospitals in those days, but it was unbelievable. You had the Son of God, the Majestic One, the Sovereign of Heaven and Earth, hidden in a poor, itinerant preacher's clothes so that he was not recognizable by the normal methods. But no doubt he was there. And how do we know that? Because every single person was healed of every disease. Demons were cast out. There was nobody sick. Do you know how far people would have to travel to get to Jesus? And they had to walk. 
they could care less. Because if there was a chance that they or their loved one could get healed, there is nothing that they would do, wouldn't do to get healed. And so Jesus healed them, proving that he was the Son of God. But what's interesting is that that's not ultimately why he came. The disciples were really impressed with all the healings. They were like, this is cool. Look at the crowds. That's not what Jesus cared about. He cared about the kingdom. We talk about the kingdom. Uh, Pastor Cliff talked about what that phrase, kingdom of God, means. I'm going to make it really simple for you guys. The kingdom of God means that you're on Jesus' team, period. That could happen in this life and hopefully in the life to come, but the question out there is, are you on Jesus' team? Because in the end, that's all that's going to matter. No one's going to remember what you accomplished in sports. No one's going to remember what you accomplished in the financial world. No one's going to care about how big your bank account was. None of that will matter. The only thing that will matter is, are you part of Jesus' team? Because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there is none other. You know, I, I had a opportunity to visit the Pentagon. How many of you have actually been to the Pentagon? Wow, one. A few. How many of you know what the Pentagon is? Okay. All right. Just, just checking. All right. The Pentagon is where the brain trust of the U.S. military uh, uh, team is located. Okay. Now, you know that's a pretty fortified place, right? Uh, when my kids were in high school, they had a chance to go on the U.S. Uh, high school tour, and of course you go to Washington, D.C. and all that. Uh, the great thing at that time, my, uh, my cousin, Lieutenant Colonel Timothy Buck, uh, was actually working at the Pentagon. And so this was very cool. Because he could, he, he could walk his way around the place. He could get me access to places that, that most uh, people couldn't go to. So me and my daughter, uh, daughters were able to go and, and check it out. We got to see where the briefings are done, and we got to stand there and take a picture like we were going to do a briefing. Uh, it, was, it was really kind of a cool thing. And isn't it nice when... Someone you know can get you access. I mean, it's not something that people want to be able to say, you know what, I know so-and-so. They can get you into the Super Bowl or they can get you into the concert. Wouldn't it be nice to have someone who could tell you, hey, this is my buddy, let them in. They, got, they get a pass. Well, what if the king of heaven and earth gave you the keys to be part of his kingdom. Would that be important? Would that be something that you would say, I want to take note of that and I want to follow that to the T? 
Well, this is what Jesus does in the Gospels. And in, in particular, this is the Luke 6, 17 to 49. This is where Elder Tim read, this is the Sermon on the Plain. And this Sermon on the Plain is very similar. It's a condensed version of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew. Uh, for those of you out there in uh, the Tuesday Bible study, uh, we went through painstaking detail of the Sermon on the Mount, and I hope you guys remember what that was about. But this is very similar. The topic is the requirements to be in the kingdom of God. And so, do you think that's important? I would hope you'd think that that's important. So today, I have the pleasure of wrapping up the sermon uh, that Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Plain. Pastor Cliff, uh, three weeks ago, I believe, he, he spoke on the, the uh, details of the, the internal attributes of those who are in the kingdom of God. And then the last two weeks, uh, Pastor Derek preached on kind of the, uh, the outflowing actions of those who are in the kingdom of God. And so today, my job is to kind of wrap it all up. So we're going to take a step back and look at the forest and see what Jesus really had to say. And so if you go to the next slide, we're going to do a quick high-level 20,000-foot view of what Jesus spoke of, and then we'll wrap it all together. And uh, for the suggestion box, I would recommend, Bob, that you put a, a big clock in the back so that the, whoever's preaching can see it. But today we don't have a clock, so that means that uh, you're stuck with me until I'm done. So the context of the Sermon on the Plain, the first key point is that conventional human thinking will not lead you to the kingdom of God. So if you are going to go to the library or you're going to go to university and study to the best of your abilities, sorry, you will not find the ways to the kingdom of God. You will only find it in the word of God, which is the Bible. How do I know that? Because what Jesus said in these short verses is just earth-shattering. They take conventional human thought and they, he just crushes it. So I'm going to really challenge you to think about what you're reading. If you went to anywhere in the entire world and you asked people, what would you rather be? Would you rather be poor or would you rather be rich? Would you rather be hungry or would you rather be full? Would you rather be sad or would you rather be happy? Would you rather be slandered or would you rather be praised? What do you think 99.999, there's always a weird person somewhere out there, right? <laughs> what do you think 99.9999% of the people would say? It's obvious, I want to be rich, I want to be full, I want to be happy, and I want to be praised. And if you're honest, sitting out there, you would nod your head and say, yeah, that's what I want. Then what is Jesus talking about? He gives a, he gives a clue. 
And the, the clue is there are two ultimate paths, one of blessing and one of curses. So the question is, which path are you on? Because there's only two. You're either on the path of blessing or you're on the path of, of curses or in the vernacular of, of this section, woes, woe to you. What Jesus is saying is the path that leads to happiness in this life is not the path that leads to happiness for all eternity. That's a big, big statement. So whatever you think or you've been taught or programmed to believe is going to help you be successful in this life, those things will make it difficult for you to enter the kingdom of God. Whoa, some minds are being blown. And they should be. That's Jesus' intention. Mark 8.36, Jesus says, what, does it, it, what will it profit a man to gain the entire world Wouldn't that be awesome to gain the entire world? Yeah, but what if that cost is that you forfeit your soul for all eternity? Would that be worth it? That's the question Jesus is asking. That's the question he asked over 2,000 years ago. That is the question he's asking right now, this very moment. What is it that you want do you want your small piece of this life? Or do you want eternal pleasures that only the Son of God can provide you? This is why it's called good news. Because if you are poor, if you are hungry, if you're sad, if you're slandered, the Son of God wants you. Who wants those kind of people? Don't you avoid those kind of people? Isn't that what psychologists say? Oh, you know those people that drag you down? Stay away from them. And what does Jesus say? No, if you're broken, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling dumb, if you're feeling useless, come to me. And I will give you springs of living waters that will flow to eternal life. What, what an amazing promise. That's just in the initial uh, opening section of the Sermon on the Plain. The re what are the requirements to be in God's kingdom? Aren't there requirements to be part of God's kingdom? Isn't there a requirement to, uh, you know, to be in a certain university? I mean, how, they, they love to talk about their acceptance rate, don't they? Oh, only we only accept uh, five percent of people that apply to our prestigious university. That means you reject ninety-five percent of the people. 
And you take pride in that. Isn't that what this world is? They love to exclude. They love to say, you don't fit. Get out of here. Well, Jesus is very clear. He says, here's what you need if you want to be in my kingdom. It's not complicated. It's very straightforward. Here's what God wants you to do. Uh, this is in Luke 6, 27 to 36. Please follow along in your word. Love your enemies. Wait a minute. Are you kidding? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who abuse you. Don't take revenge on someone who hits you, but rather turn the other cheek. Give to those who ask of you. If someone takes from you, let them have it. Be merciful to these people who are your enemies. Why? Because God is merciful to you. It's not the entry into the kingdom of God is, is uh, hard. It's impossible. Has anyone done these things even today? Did you get mad at someone today, this morning? It's straightforward, but it's impossible. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he makes it even more difficult. He says, do not judge, but love others. Judge not, condemn not. Man, that is the easiest thing to do, isn't it? To judge people and condemn people. Rather, so don't do that and do this. Forgive others and be gen generous to others. You know, don't we love to give gifts and to receive gifts? I tell you, there's no greater gift you could give someone than to forgive them. It's so much easier to give them a little trinket than to actually forgive someone who's hurt you. But this is the cost of love. God wants to be generous to us. That's good news, isn't it? We don't have a God that hates us. We have a God that loves us. And he wants to love us, and he wants us to in turn love others. It's, he's pretty brutal. Don't stop being a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites, aren't we? I mean, be honest. We're all hypocrites. We all think the best of us, and we all think the worst of other people. It's the most natural human thing. It just proves that we're sinners. And he just says, you got to remove that log that's in your eye. You know, it, it is such a funny picture. Someone has a log in their eye, and they're trying to help someone with the speck in their eye. It's ridiculous. There's only one who can see clearly, and that's God. And it's through the word that we're able to remove these logs out of, their, out of our eyes. And you know what? We need the church body. We need brothers and sisters in Christ who love us, love us enough to tell us the truth. 
Say, brother, sister, you got a log in your eye. And you know what? It hurts to hear that. But it's what we need. And then finally, you need fruit. Fruit meaning, I'm not a farmer, so I know my limits. But I do know that I like fruit, and there's a process. And we, you know, if, 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 me being the city boy that I am, I would just go every day looking for fruit. And that's not how fruit works, right? There's a long time where it looks like nothing's happening. And then eventually, the fruit comes. It's, it's the outworking of your life. And what is the fruit of Jesus living in your life? What it says is that the citizens of the kingdom, they will love God and they will do the works of God. And those people who hate God, you will, you will tell by what they say and what they do. That's fruit. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, as elders, uh, we've kind of joked amongst ourselves that as elders, our calling is to be fruit inspectors. So our calling is to get to know the members. And when you sign up to be a member, you're saying, I submit to the leadership of the elders, and our job is to inspect the fruit of your life and to challenge you. Not because it's something we want to do, but because that's what God has called us to do. So that is the backdrop to the Sermon on the Plain. And how, so how is Jesus going to wrap this incredible sermon up? And it's with the simplest picture that even a little kid can understand this. So I'm just going to read this, and so simple, yet amazingly profound. Why do you call, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose and the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the streams broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. I think you've, you can memorize this really simple, uh, really simple story. So, but let me break it down. What is the house? The house is our lives, right? How we live out our life is like building a house. Uh, what Jesus is saying is what real estate agents have, have cried for many, many centuries, right? It's all about location, location, location. Where are you building that house? And what Jesus says is, build on the rock. Build on me. Build, make that your foundation. Make your life, build your life on me, and you will not be disappointed. You know why this is such an important 
metaphor, parable, story, is that it reminds us when we look on the outside, the houses might look identical. Like you're not, you and I, we don't have spiritual insight and vision that we can tell by looking at someone from the outside what they're really, what's really going on, what their life is built on. But God knows, and Jesus says, build your house on the rock, and Jesus is the rock. So what does it mean? What does it mean to build your house, to build your life on the foundation of Jesus? He makes it real simple. Do what I tell you. Obey me. Don't call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say. So the question is, how does one know? How do you know that your life is built on a foundation or not built on a foundation? This is a question I hope every one of you is thinking about right now. How do you know? Jesus is very practical. He's the son of God. He is God. You will know in the day of the storm. When the storm hits, and in this life there are many ways that storms hit. When that storm hits, you will know whether you've built your life on the rock of Jesus or not. If you, hadn't, if you haven't been there, don't worry, it's coming. This is a tough life. You know, we, we just got uh, inundated with the news of uh, this 12-story Champlain Tower in uh, Surfside in Florida. I mean, 12 stories high. This is a, a huge building with 135 units. In just a minute, 70 of the units collapsed. 2 a.m. in the morning. They're still in, it's going to take them a while to investigate, but something happened to that foundation. Something happened, and great was the destruction of it. These people who lived in those places, they went to bed thinking it was just a, another ordinary night. Little did they know that the storms would blow. And now they know whether their house was built on the rock or not. And so it's a warning to all of us. It's just shocking how quickly that can happen. And this is life. So what Jesus is saying, it's not enough to make a profession of faith to be in his kingdom. 
I get very frustrated when I hear people say, run around saying, have you said the prayer? Have you said the prayer? What? Is that in the Bible? Entry into the kingdom of God is not about saying a prayer. Now, if the prayer is genuine and you repent of your sins and you receive Christ as your savior, God does a miraculous thing and will transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's something only God can do. But at, at the end, like the Apostle Paul says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. But ultimately, it's, a it's, it's about your actions. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Don't call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say. God is speaking to some of you, hopefully all of you in this room. I hope you're paying attention and listening. Here's the problem. We have to obey everything God commanded. It's not possible. If you go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5:48, he goes even further. He says, you want, to be in, you want to be in the kingdom of God? You want to live forever in eternity with me? Here's the key. Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, it's easy. Just be perfect. I, I can't even be perfect for a day. I mean, I struggle to be perfect for an hour, you know, just in terms of my thinking. So... What's Jesus doing? He's slapping the face of humanity. You cannot do anything to deserve entrance into the kingdom of heaven. There's absolutely nothing you can do. All your righteousness is like filthy rags. You know, it, it's like I was driving in Berkeley one time. I was at a, at, at a, at a stop light and a homeless man with a dirty rag was offering to clean my window. I paid him $5 not to touch my window. <laughs> so this is a slap in the face of humanity. There is nothing you could do to deserve entrance into the kingdom of God. And if you think about it, it's absolutely true. I mean, what could you do? to say, I, I deserve to be in the kingdom of God. There's nothing you can do. You know what the right response is? Then how can I be saved? How? That's what God wants from us. He wants us to wrestle with that question. How then can anyone be saved? And you know what Jesus says? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, you cannot understand the good news until you understand the bad news. The bad news is apart from Christ, you are absolutely hopeless. You deserve eternal damnation. That is the bad news. The good news 
is that we have a Savior who loves us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, without exception. The realization of our sinfulness, it needs to lead us to have a contrite heart. And it's all about change that happens inside of us, not external, but what's inside of us. And what Jesus expands in the Gospel of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, he gets a little more specific. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle and the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Do you feel broken? There's hope for you. Do you think you're hot stuff? Do you think that, that the kingdom of God would benefit from having you there? You are in deep trouble. Isn't this good news? What if, what if Jesus said, no, you got to climb Mount Everest, and then you got to, you know, swim across the Pacific Ocean? You know what I mean? Isn't that what other religions do? They make you do these really crazy things, and we can't do them, so they kind of cheat and make it easier. That, that's all baloney, but once we realize we're broken then we can understand the cross of Jesus Christ forever will tell us he loved us enough to pay the price. Because there had to be a price paid for all the sins you and I have committed and all the people past, present, and future. Someone had to pay that price. Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy, Majestic One, he paid that price. He died, his body was broken, and his blood was shed, that we might be saved. The righteous for all the mass of unrighteous. And you know what? That empty tomb, which we celebrate in Easter, and we should celebrate every single day, that empty tomb reminds us, not only did he die for our sins, but he was raised again with resurrection power. And that power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that will raise us from the dead to eternal life. What a beautiful, what a beautiful, powerful story. This is good news. Jesus truly is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no exception, no one comes to the Father except through Christ. So what, what does this actually look like in practical terms? And I, I wrestled with this because many of you in this room, you are facing storms in your life right now. Some of them are very severe. Some of them are mild. Some of them are growing. Some of them are coming, and you don't know it. What are some of these storms of life? Losing a beloved member of your family. That will crush you and remind you 
that you need a savior. Losing a job, getting laid off. You know, it's funny, these companies, if you've worked in Silicon Valley, oh, you're, you're part of the family, until you're not. And just like that, your access key stops working. We don't want you anymore. Well, I thought I was part of the family. No, you, you're, you were, but you're not. That's life in Silicon Valley. Uh, natural or man-made disasters, those are storms that blow through life. How about a diagnosis of a debilitating ailment or a fatal disease? Will that kind of uh, shake your world? I think you'll find out in those times, what have you built your life on? How about uh, relations of betrayal from a close friend or a divorce or a significant broken relationship? How about loss of hopes and dreams? You know, when you're young, everything feels like, oh, it's possible, I could do that. And then you start getting older and you go, I don't think I can do that. I don't have time to do that. I don't want to go back to school and whatever. Or just how about disappointing news? Or how about just rejection? These are some of the storms of life. These are times where you're found, you'll find out, have you built your life on the rock of Jesus? Or did you skip the foundation? And so as I was uh, thinking about what would be a good example to share, I thought of Dolores Samsoy. Because she got rocked. Her world got rocked. And so uh, she got a cancer diagnosis in April 2019. It's like her whole world and her family's world changed after that. At the one-year anniversary, April 2020, she wrote a letter to the elders and her close friends and family. And I've asked my daughter, Melissa, to read this uh, letter that she wrote because she lived by that. And I want you to listen because this is what a life built on the rock of Jesus Christ looks like. Happy anniversary to me. Today is the anniversary of my diagnosis. So much has happened in this last year, some good, some bad. Today I celebrate and have my 24th chemo session, 24 and counting, one year and counting. I remember receiving the call on April 1st telling me that I had a mass on my pancreas. It is a day I will never forget. I remember calling Robert. I remember calling my friends, telling them to be there for my kids. I remember calling Debbie and asking her if Robert and I could meet at their house to call my siblings. I remember just hugging onto Debbie for dear life as soon as she opened the door. 
Pastor Cliff and Debbie sat with us as we called each of my siblings. Having lost my oldest brother, William, to pancreatic cancer in November of 2016, those calls were tough. That week, I had a biopsy and a PET scan and so many other appointments. We did all of this, all while trying not to tell the kids. We wanted to know what we were dealing with before we told them anything. We met with the elders and each one anointed me with oil and prayed for my family and I. I cried every day. Some days I wailed out to God to heal me. I still do that. April 9th, I knew that Robert and I would need to have people with us as we got the results. My emotions were all over the place already. Debbie and my friends Sherry and Leah agreed to be part of my team. They took notes and asked questions that we may have forgotten. All I heard, you have pancreatic cancer. I never heard, we're talking cure. Debbie, Leah, and Sherry did. I had asked all of my family who lived locally to meet us at our house, and those who lived out of state, I asked them to be available by phone. We asked Pastor Cliff and Debbie and Pastor Bob and Robin to be with us as well. By now, the kids knew something was up, so I couldn't delay. I don't know where I got the resolve. Actually, I do. That was the hardest message I had to give. Never did I think the word cancer would be attached to my name. Never. I promised everyone that I was going to fight. I told everyone I needed them to fight with me. At that time, the doctor had given a time frame, six chemo sessions, surgery, followed by six chemo sessions. I had hoped that one day I would be cancer-free. The first four months were brutal. I was in and out of the hospital. I lost my hair after the second chemo. I lost half my body size. I couldn't eat or drink, not even water. I was nauseous all the time. At times, I couldn't walk without help. At times, I had cancer envy. Why couldn't I have breast cancer, ovarian cancer, anything but pancreatic? When you say pancreatic, you automatically get the look and I'm sorry. That's because PC has the worst survival rate. During one hospital stay, I asked my doctor why they just couldn't cut me in half, and I was serious. Of course, that isn't an option, but I would do it if it was. There were times that I wanted to die. I am not afraid of death, I just hate the thought of leaving my loved ones. I started writing my obituary because I didn't want my family to have to do it, and I wanted to make sure I know <laughs> what would be said. LOL. <laughs> the toll it took on my Robert was so bad it made me sad. For a while, I was his wife and his patient. So many times I asked him questions that had negative responses that he hated to say. Maya didn't want to leave my side and it was so hard for Isaiah to look at me. As a family, we had already dealt with so much loss. I understood it all. I suffered through depression. For four solid weeks, I lived in a cloud of darkness. Through it all, I never blamed God. I never thought he left me. I knew he was still going to heal me. As you all know, the original goal post of six rounds then surgery was moved. It continued to move until I was finally told that I am no longer a candidate for surgery. While God has allowed science and medicine to help get to this anniversary, it really has been his mercy and grace. All is not doom and gloom. August 11th, I had a feeding tube inserted. I was malnourished. And after three days, I started to feel like myself. Life was returning to me. My voice returned. Life was good again. My oncologist also changed my chemo cocktail. This one was less toxic. It brought back my appetite and it was ferocious. I ate and ate and ate, gained back 30 pounds and for the first time in my life, I was happy to gain weight. Smiley face. <laughs> my family has been incredibly blessed during this time. My siblings have rallied beside me like never before. My sister Annette put her life on hold to come be my caregiver. 
Sherry and Leah keep me laughing. My church family has kept us fed with the meal train. CBC has gone far and beyond anything we could ever imagine. I have so many letters and cards and emails and countless prayers. I have saved every single correspondence. Some days I'm so overwhelmed by the love that we have received, I just cry tears of joy. Joy, my mantra. Ever since I started feeling better, I promised myself that I will live with the purpose of finding joy every day. I can't plead to God to give me more days and then spend them complaining or sleeping it away. I know sleep is healing, and I sleep when my body says, but I am not going to just stay in bed sad and mad and lonely. I can't. I just can't. I have been blessed with a new perspective. I see things differently. I live with more intention. I truly enjoy the sun, the rain, my kids, my family, everything. I told my doctor I am not going to be one of his statistics. I told him I need people with hope, and he needs to be on that train or move on. I know he is doing his best for me, but I told him that one day he is going to read a scan and will be speechless. He will tell me I'm healed and won't have an explanation. I will have the explanation. God. Only God. Now, I'm not delusional. I know I have a very tough battle. My brother had three months from diagnosis to death. So far, I have been given nine months more than him. I feel sad about that, but I'm grateful to have it. I believe that this is just the first anniversary. I believe that I have many, many, many more years. I live with this nugget of wisdom that Debbie gave me. I will be healed, either here on earth or in heaven. Either way, I will be healed. Since August, I have done many firsts. Maui, Yosemite twice, taught my grandson patty cake, saw Isaiah play on a D1 court in a college game, celebrated Lennox turning one, took Maya to get her permit, shelter in place, TikTok videos, I say I love you more, I dance every day, I sing every day, I praise God every day, I find joy every day. I took another hit in my journey when the last scan showed growth. The tumor was no longer responding to the second cocktail, but to everyone's surprise, I didn't cry. Even my mind tried to get me to curse God, but I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I have Job lineage. What I did have was an option, the option to go back on the first cocktail, albeit less toxic, which means it's not curative, but to be honest, it hasn't been curative for a long time. I'm okay with that. I've been given more days than maybe I deserve, but I am grateful for each and every one of those that passed and those that are coming. Every day I will find joy. Some days I tell the kids, we are not going to make it with the shelter in place. Two out of the three of us will make it out alive, and I am one of them. See? Joy. Smiley face. <laughs> I may not be where I want to be, but I am alive. Every day I wake up is a great day. I never had a bucket list. I get asked this all the time. If I had one, the one thing on there would be longevity. Sure, I have places I want to travel to, things I want to see, but I never had a must-to-do list. I'm more of, if it happens, it happens. God has a purpose for me, and I am not done yet. Happy anniversary to me. Oh, she's dancing in heaven, all right. Uh, Dolores would live with that attitude for another year, and we celebrated her anniversary uh, in April. And in, in May, she went to be with the Lord. But, you know, from a worldly perspective, I ask you, what did she accomplish? From a worldly perspective, nothing. It wasn't, it wasn't profitable for her. Um,
But you know, from a spiritual perspective, she finished the race that God gave her. And there is no greater reward than to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your message to us this day. Lord, there's all kinds of foolish foundations that we could build our lives on that are no foundations at all. Lord, you came that we might have life and that we might have life not just of minimalism, but uh, abundance. Lord, I, I pray if there's anyone in this room, uh, in the courtyard or on YouTube, that doesn't know you, that you would just cause their heart to ache for the desire to repent of their sins and, re and to accept you as Savior. Thank you for your unbelievable love and for giving us your word that tells us exactly what we need to do to please you. Father, for those of us who are believers, I pray that you'd help us to get our, our thoughts and our priorities in right alignment. Lord, you need to be the hub of our life not just the number one priority, but the hub of our life from which everything else emanates. Help us to remember, Lord, that you have good in store for us, not only in this life, but especially in the life to come. Help us to lay aside these things that, that weigh us down, that we might run the race to live a life that's not pleasing to ourselves or the world, but to you. For it's in your mighty and precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.